0: Well, the message this morning is called The Mystery, and uh, we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 3, so if you would like to turn that way, you sure can. Um, And the mystery, the hint is it's the church. (laughs) But the big idea is that the church is a mystery, now the church reveals God's mystery to the world. So two questions we want to keep in mind is, what is the mystery? I already gave you the answer. Why was it hidden, or why, why is it sometimes hidden? And uh, today, as we go to that third chapter of Ephesians, and we see the beauty of God's plan for the church, this book of Ephesians speaks many times of unity and service to God. And I think it's a great use of our time to carefully learn the riches of God and the peace he offers us, that we can then live in and grow together without any divisions between us. And I think it's good always to put everything in context. And, uh, you know, I always say that it's important to see things in context and evaluate, in this particular case, what's Paul teaching as a whole through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we need to avoid that dangerous practice that Christians sometimes do of pulling a verse here and there in order to teach something that May or may not even be in the text. And so in chapter one of Ephesians, just as a quick refresher, we learned that God uh, planned out our salvation from the beginning of time, and that he, His grace is lavished upon I love that word, lavished her. His grace is lavished upon us. He did this work of salvation on our behalf because it was His will to do so, and He considers us to be His inheritance. And we also see in that part of Ephesians that Paul was constantly praying for the church. He said he prayed that the church uh, people would have wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ and that we would realize the power we have. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in us. And it may encourage you to know that I try to follow Paul's example and pray these things for you as well. And that you will live in power in the promise of God. And that you will grow in your knowledge of him. And that you also would have the spirit of wisdom. In chapter 2 we learn that all of us were dead in our sins. But those who find salvation are alive together in Christ. We see that Christ has already taken down the dividing walls of hostility. So... There's no need for us to be at war against each other or for us to let our differences get in the way of our worship or our joy or our delight in God. So the study of Ephesians it can be really interesting and exciting as we see that God has a wonderful plan for His church. That's you and me. And I'm so thrilled at the thought that we can all worship together in spirit and in truth, no matter what little differences we might have, as long as we have a mutual faith in Jesus Christ and live in the authority of Scripture uh, as it teaches us how to live according to God's grace. So praise the Lord, right? It's so exciting to be part of the church. And, you know, in both sports and war, God already knows who's going to win guess you could add politics to that, too. If if someone is to be healed tonight of some physical ailment, God already knows that as well. And so uh, he knows everything that's going to happen, and and we can trust that it works out well for those that love him. So let's take a look at the passage here, and again, the title of the sermon is The Mystery, and I'm going to read the passage so that we have the full context. So um, you can see it on the screen if you like, or look it up for yourself in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how much the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So, as if you know me well at all, you know I love reading, and I love good novels that I can immerse myself in. Um, And I also read those that you can grab that, uh, you know, you read and it's a short story and you're done with it quickly, and and uh, so I love all kinds of different books, and one of the types of books that I can enjoy is um, a mystery or thriller type novel or uh, something like Sherlock Holmes, for example. So uh, the fascination that we have with reading s- things like that to see the interesting methods that are used to solve the crimes, things that the average person wouldn't have picked up and the detective sees. With Sherlock Holmes, you read these stories that would often start with what you thought was a clear path. You, you Often in the beginning of the story, you think, I've got it, I know who did it. Uh, and yet there's the plot twist, right? And the one that you thought must have been guilty then is suddenly cleared of suspicion, and then you're left to follow the great detective as he unfolds the mystery. And often the solution is not revealed until the last couple paragraphs. And then you see the brilliance of Holmes as he reveals that he he has noticed some tiny detail that no one else would have picked up, and uses it along with logic to detail how the crime took place and therefore bring the perpetrator to justice. And now... You know, most of us do love a good mystery. We certainly all love a good story. And whether you enjoy reading stories or whether you enjoy hearing them told or seeing them portrayed through a movie or a play, I believe that most people do love a good story. And we not only can learn about the greatest story ever told in the Bible, it's the story of the redemptive plan of God and that we see how it plays out through all of history and the really cool thing is that if we're if we're in Christ, we're actually part of that story. And we're the ones in the story that were saved by the hero. We're the ones in the story that were brought up poor, but find we have a great inheritance or great expectations, right? We're the ones in the story who can become heroes ourselves by sharing the story with others. And we are the characters in the story who find ourselves part of a family. Though we were formerly orphans, we are the ones adopted into the house of the king. We are the ones who will live happily ever after. So here in our passage, Paul talks about a mystery. It's a mystery that generations before were unable to know completely. And now it's been revealed. The mystery involves us and everyone who puts faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. The mystery is an exciting story that we are just in the middle of now and that will one day reach its exciting climax, that day when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the Christ, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Great I Am, will make all things new, and we're part of that story. And part of the mystery that was there early in the story is now being revealed in us and to us and through us, and Paul tells us that he is one of the ones privileged to reveal the mystery. So what's the mystery? Well, back in chapter 2 of, of Ephesians, Paul writes that Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. That was between Jews and Gentiles, or non-Jews. This is great news, and it means for us today that there doesn't need to be anything that interferes with our living as the body of Christ in unity, and in love. The fact that the Gentiles were joined together with the Jews into one nation, or as Paul said, one new man in place of the two, is the mystery. Paul's saying here that this new group of people made up of all who put their faith for salvation in Jesus Christ is the mystery. Now, Paul, in his really could say it was a marvelous encounter with Jesus. He'd been told by Jesus that he would bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Up until the time of Christ, no one really could claim they knew by reading that that there was going to be this great unity between Gentile and Jew. At least they didn't understand it the way the gospel presents it. And that's because God had not yet revealed that part of his plan. He had given hints of it. He had given, uh, you know, kind of foreshadowing, if you will. Although the Old Testament prophecies and law pointed to Christ, it never, they never really completely understood that there there was going to be this new nation, that Gentiles and Jews alike would be part of the same promise. The Old Testament did tell that Gentiles could find salvation and it did tell that Jesus would, that Jews would have a Messiah, but no one knew that this Messiah would bring together these two groups. And that Christ would break down the dividing wall of hostility. And what that means, just as a reminder, if um, you've heard probably in other times in sermons or studies, that uh, the temple, if you were Jewish, you could get closer into the Holy of Holies than if you were not Jewish by birth. And there was the court of the Gentiles. There was also the court of the women. That, and, and then when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was cut into, torn into, and then it revealed that the access to God was now open equally to everyone. Verse 6 says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was a mystery before, and as Paul says, it was hidden. It was unknown. At least people could have hints and maybe a clue of what might happen, but nobody really knew what the solution was at the end. But Paul said he was given grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? Who created all things? So here Paul is emphatically saying that the mystery, as defined in verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, was up until then, well, a mystery. And the words translated here are the unsearchable, unsearchable riches of Christ seems to indicate that Paul is saying that you could search through the Old Testament, the whole thing, and without further enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, you will not understand the complete picture unless the Spirit reveals that. But then you can understand that all along and through the story that Gentiles were to be fellow heirs with the Jews. In other words, only looking back at the Old Testament with the revelation that occurred through Jesus Christ that was revealed to His Father, then you would be able to see it. Thank God we have the New Testament. And so we look back at the Old Testament, and we can see that this mystery is no longer a secret, because God has revealed it to us. And note that Paul says in verse 11 that this was according to the eternal purpose of God. That means going back in time forever, from before even the beginning. And so one can't look at the Old Testament thinking, well, God had never really planned for this, uh, for the Gentiles. Maybe he came up with that later. No, Paul says this was part of the plan all along. Only, uh, you know, we see it as a complete picture through Christ. And so we can rejoice knowing that God intended from the beginning that we could be part of that. We would be saved. And this occurs with the rest of, concurs with the rest of Scripture that includes the first passage of Ephesians, which tells us that God predestined us for salvation. So hallelujah for that. So the next question, then, would appear to be a head-scratcher, and which is, why was it hidden? Why did God keep this a big secret? Why would he not just reveal his entire plan to the first people? Well, this is not easy for us to answer. And scripture doesn't reveal every nuance of God's plan. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. So why did he keep secret the fact that Gentiles would be joined together with Jews into the church, into that one body? Well, this part's very exciting. Because as I studied this passage, I realized a very awesome thing. It's a reminder that God places great significance in each of us. And the church holds a special place and has a unique mission that we don't often reflect on. But here it is in Scripture for us to see and for us to try to wrap our heads around. The mystery was kept secret because one of the main characters in the story had not yet been revealed. Right? If you're reading a great novel and, and they reveal everything right at the beginning, what's the point of finishing the story, right? Right? It's not as exciting. It's not as fun. So like a master storyteller, God left a plot twist that no one saw coming. That plot, plot twist was really shocking to many people. Now some people thought it was a wonderful plot twist and they excitedly accepted Christ with great joy. But others were angry about the plot twist. And by the way, if you go read book reviews on Amazon, you'll see this variety of opinions about every single book out there. There's some people that say that was the greatest plot twist in history, and other people said, oh no, that was terrible. That wasn't what I wanted or expected to happen in the end. In fact, I was just reading um, about Charles Dickens recently, and one of the books he wrote uh, was called The Old Curiosity Shop. And it was back in those days, a lot of his books came out as as, uh, chapter by chapter in newspapers. They called them serials. So you'd have to buy the newspaper to get the next chapter. And this story was so compelling that uh, when the ship was coming across from England with what would have been the copies of the, n- the next chapter, everybody wanted to know, did little Nellie, did she live or did she die? And they actually almost stormed the ship when it came to the dock because they wanted to find out so much. And they were yelling to the sailors, did Nellie live? Did Nellie live? And I'm not going to tell you whether she did or not. You'll have to go read it. But anyway... But the, I'll tell you this, not, all, not everybody was happy with the way he ended the story. They expected it to go a different way. Same with when Jesus came. A lot of people didn't accept him because that wasn't what I wanted to happen. I wanted to be a, this exclusive club as the, of the Jews that had salvation. I don't want Mark to get it. That's not fair. I wanted it. And so not everybody likes the plot twist. So some of them were downright angry about it. They felt it diminished their place in the story. And uh, so the plot twist, you know, it changes the entire direction of the story as far as man could see. But from God's perspective, the plot was set from the beginning. Like an accomplished novel writer, God had carefully laid an outline for his redemptive story. He always knew where it was going to be headed. However, he decided to bring in one fantastic element At the perfect time, that would bring together all the plot elements. And the Bible refers to that in Galatians 4.4 as the fullness of time. These plot elements were woven together with no error. Instead, they're with the precision of a mathematician. It's like a formula. if, If you and I and most of us here are not, you know, academic math scholars... So most of us would go if we saw a formula on the board and we wouldn't maybe appreciate it, but a mathematician might look at it and he says, wow, amazing. You know, if they understand the language of math, they can appreciate the beauty of this complicated problem when it's carefully laid out and it's solved. And those of us who receive the knowledge of Christ can see the beautiful handiwork of a creative God who knew before time, how he would lay out his plan of redemption, he had this, the, the, the puzzle solved way ahead of time. And, and we also see how the antagonist, that is the villain of the story, which is death and its weapon, sin, would be defeated by the superhero of all time, Jesus Christ. This story is our story because God has an eternal purpose. He predestined us to be recipients of his grace, and now we're part of that story. How? We're part of that story as it's being revealed. And the story is about the wisdom of God who carefully planned out every detail and left no strings hanging. If a novelist concludes their novel properly, the last chapter of the story ties up all of the loose ends to the satisfaction of the reader. With God's story, all of the loose ends only appeared to be loose ends by those who were unable to see or unable to fathom the final purpose and beauty of God's plan. And so we see here in the passage that Paul, given this task by God to reveal or unveil the mystery, sees that as his humble task to do. See, he's not glorifying himself here. He dares not. He considers himself the least of all the saints. He humbly accepts God's purposes for him. But now in verses 9 and 10, we see that we're, we're now part of the story. We have a part to play. We have a duty and a responsibility to take part in God's plan. For it says here that through the church, that's me and you, the manifold wisdom of God might be, now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose of that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So we the church have this part, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Well, who do we make, known, he, who do we make that known to? It says the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now a carefully, careful study of this passage reveals that what Paul is saying here is because it was a mystery that Jews and Gentiles who were saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ and become a new people group, that the angels are learning about God's wisdom through the church. Isn't that amazing? As they, the angels, witness the church, growing together in unity, receiving salvation without regard to genetics or any other dividing factor, they, the angels, are learning about the manifold wisdom of God through the church. That might seem surprising to you. We tend to think of angels as God's messengers, and indeed they are, so we just think, well, they they probably know everything and a lot more than we do. But... That's not what the Bible says. It says that they're actually learning and they long to look into these things. And I'll get to that in a moment. But we think, well, you know, we see the angels in the Bible, they always seem to know what's up, right? Gabriel, you know, he knew what was up with Mary. He told her what's going on and Mary and Joseph and the angels who warned Lot to get out of Sodom. So certainly angels do know much of God's plan. They certainly know what he told them to tell. But even they did not know about his plan for the church. this goes for bad angels as well, or demons. Even Satan, who knew scripture well and still uses it today in a twisted manner, did not see this coming. The master storyteller had not yet revealed, even to his servants, the good angels, the depths of his plans, and neither did Satan understand fully. When he thought he had thwarted God's plan at the crucifixion, that he actually was sealing his own eternal fate because Christ has defeated death. We see where Peter writes about the angels wanting to look into this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 10 to 12. He says, "Concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating." when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians four nine. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. As one person put it this way, The church thus becomes the university for angels, and each saint is a professor. Only in the church can the angels come to an adequate comprehension of the grace of God. They look at the church to investigate the, the mysteries of redemption. In Peter, Peter speaks of the things into which the angels have a passionate desire to stoop down and look into, like the golden cherubim that overshadow the mercy seat, ever gazing upon the sprinkled blood that is upon it. The preposition that's in the Greek there, para, beside, is prefixed to the verb stoop down, which speaks of the angels as spectators, viewing the great plan of redemption from the sidelines, not being participants in it. But you and I are participants in it. So we see that the unified church, the body of Christ, reveals to the angels and to the demons and to the world the manifold wisdom of God. God is showing his wisdom through us. So, don't take lightly your responsibility to serve Him. And don't take lightly your responsibility to make peace among your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And don't belittle yourself, thinking that you don't have any important role in the story, that you're just a mere extra. God has made you a part of the story, He has put you on the stage. He tells part of the story through you. And God did all of this intentionally laying out his plans from start to finish before he spoke those words, let there be light. Before the foundation of the world, God predestined you for salvation. He calls you now and wants you to take seriously your role in the story. He wants you to realize that he has adopted you. He wants you to realize that the antagonist, that is the villains of the story, which is death and sin, the weapon of death, have been defeated already. He wants you to realize that he has shown us the manuscript, and we can be assured that what he wrote, his happy ending, will come true. God is not Walt Disney. He's not telling us fairy tales. His stories are not for mere entertainment. Rather, those talented storytellers like Walt Disney or Charles Dickens or C.S. Lewis, whoever they are, they can draw us into their wonderful stories because in our hearts we know there's a master storyteller a master novelist a master producer who continues to re- to reveal his grand story until the wonderful day that will come and we will see the wonderful completion then we will know that all of those wonderful stories that we've read or heard or seen acted out on the stage or screen they're but dim shadows of the divine story. The mystery has been revealed and it is us. We are the church. We are the hope of the world. Even the angels and demons are learning God's wisdom through the church and that makes us part of God's wonderful story. When an actor or actress is preparing to perform a role, they say they're, they are get into the part. And for that might mean different To different actors and actresses, but they're not just putting on makeup and a costume. They mentally put on the part of that person. In fact, I remember reading that uh, Heath Ledger, who played a villain in a movie, put himself so much into the part that there were people that were convinced that that's why he killed himself. He was so much into the evil character's part. Whether that's true or not, God knows. But that's how seriously actors take when they're, t- when they're, doing, when they're doing a part. They, they don't just read the lines, they read about the character. They might even act the part off stage and pretend they're that character. You hear about this sometimes if you've watched or read about Hollywood actors and they, during the entire filming of the production, they, they never give up that character. Which is kind of weird to me, <laughs> I'll be honest. They fully immerse themselves into the character You are a character in God's story. You will be listed in the credits. The credits will say, playing himself, Blade Schroeder. Playing herself, Rebecca Jensen. Your character is the one adopted by the king. Your character is the one that was saved by the hero. Your character is the one teaching the angels. And so I want to leave you with this one question, and then we'll pray. When are you going to get into character? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that as we hear the wonderful truths of your scripture, how you're revealing your mystery still through us, how you've made us characters in your grand story of redemption. Oh, Lord, may we have even more desire than before to get into the character you've called us to. And may we do it by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.